Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at EncounterChurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search eChurchBR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message. And just believing for God to have a good, come on, just a good time in the house. I, I like to have a good time in the house. I like to have fun in the house. I think church should be fun. Ain't no joke, but it's fun. Amen. And we're going to have some fun in the house. Plus, JC's in the house today. A young girl came today. She's called JC. So I said I would say that. Who's in the house? JC. Come on, let's pray together. You ready? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today for just how awesome you are, how incredible you are. And we pray, God, right now that you would speak into every one of our hearts. We haven't come here to waste your time. And we know you haven't come to waste hours. And God, we ask that you would just lead us and guide us. Speak to each and every one of us today that we would not leave here the same way in which we came in. But we would leave here changed, transformed, renewed. We love you in Jesus' name. Shout amen. Come on, high five two people around you and say, man, that pastor liar sounds pretty good. Pretty good. Can we serve it now? Can we have some now? (laughs) Wow. Great to see you all. Always great. And wow, it's happy yesterday. It was National Best Friend Day. Did you know that? It was National Best Friend Day yesterday. And that's why we extended it today. And that's why we asked you all to bring your besties to church today, your BFFs to church. Who's brought their friend to church today? Come on, put your hand up. Maddie's brought hers. Come on, we brought our friends to church. Come on, give yourselves a round of applause. Well, welcome. Guess what? Since it was National Best Friends Day, I thought we'll talk about friendship. Is that okay? So we're going to talk about friending today. Friendship has been a subject that we have seen come up many times over the last few months here at Encounter Church. Why? Because of the importance of surrounding yourself with the right people to help you fulfill your God-given destiny. I believe every one of us has a God-given destiny. And I need to surround myself with people that are going to get me there. The problem with, we have people who are taking us to a destination, but it's maybe not our destiny. They're taking us somewhere, but they're maybe not taking us where we need to go and what God has called us to do. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron sharpeneth iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. But what do we like to add to this passage? But lead will take you to the bottom. Iron will sharpen you, but lead, the wrong friends, will take you to the bottom. So let me say it another way. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. And whether you're a kid or whether you're a tween, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a young adult, you're middle-aged, maybe you're mature. Whatever you are, you will become your closest friends. And you can count on that. Because when we connect with other people, we become a conduit for their values, for their beliefs, and for their decisions. And I have a verse for that. You ready? Proverbs 13.20 says this. Become wise by walking 
with the wise. If you hang out with fools, come on, what happens? Watch that your life will fall to pieces. Another translation says you hang out with fools, you're going to suffer harm, you're going to get in trouble, you're going to be destroyed. That's a pretty clear picture there. And don't think you're the exception. A lot of us think, ah, not me. You're not the exception to God's Word. But what do we see there? If we hang with the wise, we're going to get wiser. I want that. I want to have godly friends around me because if I've got godly friends around me, I'm likely to grow in my relationship with God and I'm likely to be closer to God. If I have friends around me that are making good decisions, they are challenging the decisions I make and hopefully encouraging me and creating an atmosphere where I too can make the right decisions. But the opposite again is true. If I'm around the wrong crowd, when they do stupid and dangerous things, guess who's doing it along with them? Me. Because I'm going to fall victim to that. If those friends are passive and unmotivated, you know what happens to me? I'm probably going to do less. If they ignore God, then I'll probably find my self-drifting away from God too. And looking back in every one of our lives, I know in my life, I rarely got in trouble on my own. If ever I got in trouble, it was around equally foolish people like myself. But again, there's the flip side to that. I've rarely succeeded in anything in life alone. Why? Because we're better together. When you join with other people with the same goals and dreams. and Think about sports. You weren't much good on your own. But when you became a team, you could go out there and accomplish. You were successful because of other people who were going the same direction to you. Think about this. The closest moments in your life when you were at the closest to God was probably when you surrounded yourself with people who were in church loving Jesus and who are close to God. And I can honestly say this today and stand here before each and every one of you and say this. I am who I am today because of the friends I chose in my past. And not only in my past, but in my present, looking into my future. And I'm here today as a pastor because of those friends who encouraged me. But you know what? Maybe you're not standing as a pastor, but every one of us has that same story to tell today because we are who we are today. Maybe we're not proud of what we are today. Maybe we know some things need to change today, but that's because of the surroundings, the friendships, the involvement, the people who we have allowed to speak into our lives. So let me say it this way. The people you know will determine the story that you tell. What's the story today of your life? What's your life's story? I can say it another way. The people you're hanging out with today are shaping the person you will become tomorrow. I love this story. It's in the three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is the four Gospels. It's actually recorded in three of the Gospels in the Word of God. I believe it's Matthew, Mark and John. But in Mark chapter 2, we begin by reading in verse 2 that it says these words, Soon the house where Jesus was staying was packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door while he was preaching God's word to them. Verse 3 begins with two words, four men. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. It was a stretcher. Four men, one man. 
paralyzed, carried on a stretcher. It always amazes me when I read this story that it doesn't give us much details except four people and one who was sick. Who were they? I don't know. We're not told. Who was he? I don't know. We're not told. But I believe what we see by the events that happen next, we understand that it's clear that these four guys had some skin in the game. What I mean by that is this. I think it's safe to say they must have in some shape or form been a friend of that man because they were prepared to do anything they could for the one who couldn't. So let's read on. Verse 4. They, the four men, couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they turned around, gave up and went home. No, that's not the story that we're about to read. Why? Because true friends don't give up on you. True friends don't leave you when the going gets tough. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, above the head of Jesus. Are you catching this today? We're not just talking about a mailbox to put a letter in and say, hey, Jesus, look up. We're talking about a massive hole to make a stretcher. A full man had to be lowered down through that hole. That's a big, that's a big hole right there. That's a great solution, but how many knows that solution came at a great cost too? Because you don't make a hole in someone's roof without someone coming back and saying, you're going to pay for that. You know what I'm talking about? And not only did they have to pay for a hole, someone had to run to Lowe's or the hardware store and get some ropes. Because I'm sure they weren't like carrying some ropes around, you know what I'm saying? They had to have some device to be able to lower him through the roof. There was cost, there was cost that was involved. That's the type of friends that you need around you that will stop at nothing but listen to get you to Jesus. And the next part of the story, this is my favorite part right here. I love all the rest, but this is my favorite part of the whole story right there. Verse 5. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus seeing their faith. One translation says, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven you. You've got to catch this. Listen to me. You've got to catch this. Whose faith produced the miracle? His friend's faith. It was his friend's faith that produced the miracle. What did they do? They got him to Jesus. They knew if we can get him to Jesus, everything can Change. He couldn't have done that on his own. That was impossible for him to get to that place in front of Jesus alone without their faith. But it was more than just their faith. It was their persistence. It was their willingness to stop at nothing. Even if it cost them some money, they were going to make it happen. Look at this statement. I need friends that have the faith I need when I don't have the faith I need. I've got to surround myself with people for my worst day, not my best day when I'm struggling. I've got to be around some people who have been in prayer with Jesus and, and kind of tapped into Jesus. When I'm not feeling much Jesus, I need someone to be telling me some Jesus. I need, I need some people to have some faith. I may be struggling in something. Maybe today you walked in here and like Sarah says, there's so much noise going around and you just needed someone to say to you, hey, I got you, buddy. I got you. I'm believing with you. You, you just needed someone to rally around you say, hey, I've got what you need even while you haven't got what you need. I'll be that friend. I'll be there. 
And I love this because his faith or their faith got him to a place where really Jesus could speak to the greatest need. We think right now our greatest need is if I could just get a job, if I could just get married, if I could just have more money, if I could just be healed, if I could have wholeness in my body. We think that's the answer that we need. And there are important things. The man was paralyzed. It wasn't good for his life. He couldn't do nothing on his own. But Jesus spoke to the greatest need. And when Jesus saw him, what does he say in verse 5? Jesus says, child... Your sins are forgiven. Jesus was able to speak to the greatest need. You see, our greatest need is not physical, it's spiritual. It's that spiritual need that we have to be connected with God. And I've got to make sure that I'm surrounding myself with friends who are not just trying to do the physical parts. But first and foremost, they're saying, I want the spiritual parts. Because the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he has the whole world, but he loses his own soul? If I'm a true friend with someone, I'm not just saying come to church because you can get healed physically. I'm saying, man, you need Jesus on the inside because you can die sick but know Jesus and go to heaven. But you can die well and not have Jesus in your heart and not make it there because real friends are more interested on the inside than what they are on the outside. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding today. And that caused a real stir because people said, how dare you speak to someone's sins? Who do you think you are, Jesus? You think you're God or something? He said, well, kind of actually I am. And Jesus says, not only am I going to speak to his sins, I'm going to just say to him, hey, get up and walk. And that man picked up his mat and he walked up and immediately he was made whole and healed. But what would have happened if friends would not have persisted? They saw an obstacle, but they pushed through. Come on, you've got to push through. I love that story because it shows how a life can be impacted completely. Why? Because four guys did everything they could to get him to Jesus, to see him saved and then healed. Come on, that's it. It's saved and healed. We want them to be found and we want them to know Jesus. If you don't have friends like that today, you better start looking. If you haven't got four people around you, you better have someone around you. Because you see, here's the problem today, and I'm not one of these people just to harp on like social media and the internet and technology and stuff, because they're a great tool that we can use. But notice this, social media and technology, they have made a massive relational impact on every one of us. Because what they have done is they have redefined... The word friend. How a friend looks now versus how a friend was 10 years ago is completely different. It used to be when you said you had a friend that that friend and you both understood what that meant. You shared the same interests. You understood each other's goals and dreams. You knew their deepest, darkest secrets. And guess what? You kept your mouth shut. That's what friends used to do. But now that's not the case because here's where we are right now. We have dozens and maybe even hundreds of friends or followers online. They say the average American has 300 friends on Facebook, but only two people they consider close friends. Come on, these are friends now that you say, oh, I've got all these friends, but you've never even met them in real life. 
They follow you, like what you post and comment. And you know, I've realized this. People tend to follow your content more than you. If you post something that they like, they're going to like it. It's not really about you, but it's really about what you do they like. Have you noticed that? So, it's, so when you stop doing that, they don't post anymore. So there's that pressure. So they're not really liking you. They're liking what you do, which is a big difference. But they don't really know you. I mean, when you get in trouble, can you pick up the phone and call any one of those thousands of friends on your Facebook and know that they would drop everything and get on a flight and fly across the country or send you the mortgage note that you need for your house? Are they that type of friends? They would probably click a button and go, unfriend. That's how easy it is to unfriend someone, a click of a button. And you know, we get so offended at that too. We've even got software on our phones to see who's unfriending us. How dare they? They were never your friend in the first place. But you know, it's not just technology's fault. Here's the four main reasons why we have less friends today than we ever have in life. The first one is this, people are working more. People are busier than they've ever been. And that's why social media fits so good into our schedule. Because at any time we can pick up our friends and we can just dial into their lives and we can send a response. And that's when social media becomes so easy. The second reason we have less friends is people are moving more frequently than they ever have done before. The opportunities for jobs and being able to travel and to go, people are more frequently able to do that. The second reason also is people are getting divorced more often. And so what happens in a divorce when a husband and wife separate and they sell the home and they divvy up everything, what tends to happen too is they divvy up their friends because people take sides and it causes division and splits. And we used to hang out, but now we've got a pick. We're forced into choosing a side. And then the last one is this. People are talking more online and less in person than ever before. Texting more than talking. I believe hearing someone's voice is so important. How how many times have you said to someone, man, it's so good just to hear from you, just to hear your voice. There's something about that connection, just that relationship with hearing that voice. You don't feel that through a text. Text can be mistaken, misread, misunderstood because you don't hear the tone. You don't see what's going on. Now, of course, there's great benefits, as I said, from social media. But most of us, listen to me, we filter what we want to share with other people. So what we do is we only present to them what we want them to see. We, we show them the best of everything. So what happens? We are making it much harder to be real and authentic in a real world relationship. So now it's tough for us just to be a friend with someone because we've set ourselves up to be the superhero that we're definitely not. So we can't show them really who we are. So we have no real life interacting friends, but we have a fantasy. We show everyone the highlight reel instead of the dropped catches and the missed opportunities. So what do we say today to all of this? We are living in a society that is more connected than it has ever been, but yet people are lonelier than ever. How many would realize there's a problem there? There's a problem. There's a problem. It's not working. Something is missing. And I've got, I just got to tell you this. I don't believe it's a something that's missing. I believe it's a someone that's missing for your life. 
And I believe every one of you need a Barnabas. You need a Barnabas in your life. Let me explain. Anyone ever heard of Paul before? He actually wrote one third of our New Testament. Pretty important guy. But his story didn't start that way. He was actually a really angry guy who lived his life to persecute and to kill Christians. That's not the type of guy that you would want to be around with. He was known as Saul back then. He had an incredible transformation with Christ that was massively life-changing to him. He got a new name, Paul. Everything changed. Immediately, he wanted to start telling everyone about Jesus. The only problem was none of the Christians trusted him. They thought it was a plot, a ploy, a trick. I mean, he's out here to murder us, and now he wants to be in our services, on the platform, preaching to us. All he's trying to do is find out information so he can destroy us. That's what they were thinking. Can you really blame them? I mean, I can't. So picture the situation. Here's a guy. Look at this. Acts 9.26 says that. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a follower, that he had converted over to Christ. You can't blame him. So picture the situation. Here's a guy totally changed, transformed, wanting to preach the gospel, but without an ounce of credibility. No one trusted him. But Paul was one friend away from altering the course of his destiny. And that friend was Barnabas. Because we read in Acts 9, 26 through 28 from the message, it says back in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. They didn't trust him one bit. Then Barnabas took Paul under his wing. He introduced him to the apostles. He stood up for him. He told them how Saul had seen and spoken to the master on the Damascus road. And how in Damascus he himself had laid his life on the line with his bold preaching in Jesus' name. And after that he was accepted as one of them, going in and out of Jerusalem with no questions asked, uninhibited as he preached in the Master's name. What happened to Paul, Barnabas? A Barnabas came along and changed the course of his life. You see, here's the equation of what happened in Paul's life. One friendship made one massive difference in Paul's life and now an even bigger difference to the world. And that difference is still happening today as we're reading his letters and instruction that God has given. But what changed it all? One friend. One person that says, I believe in you. I'm going to put my neck on the line. I'm going to stand up for you. And I truly believe this today. And listen to me. I believe that you are one friend away from changing your destiny. If you would just decide and commit to connect to the right people. The right people. Or the right person. And I've got to define that, unfortunately. I'm not talking about your right person. I'm talking about God's right person. Because we're always going to find people that are right for the sin and for the life and for the choices and the decisions that we're in that are going to be doing that with us. But we've got to find the right people who are going to love us enough and say, no, I'm taking you to Jesus. Because you're sick and you need something. And he's the only solution that you have. Why? Because we're talking about people who are going to take us to our God-given destiny and potential that God has. And so I want to try and help you to find that one. Because it can be actually scary to reach out. 
It can be scary to reveal your heart, your struggles, your crazy dreams. It can be scary to put yourself out there because many of you can say, man, I've been hurt too many times. I say this all the time. You had a bad meal once, but it never stopped you eating. You've maybe had a bad experience, but that's because they weren't a true friend. You've got to find that Barnabas. You've got to find that true friend. And I want to help you just quickly. I want to give you three types of friends. We touched on this last week. And I just want to break it down deeper today. I call it the friendship sandwich. The sandwich of a friend. Number one, a friend to challenge you and to bring out your best. That's what you need to look for. I want someone to challenge me. Secondly, I want a friend to help me find strength in God and to grow in my faith. I want a friend to tell you the truth, especially when you don't want to hear it. All those things are important, and you need friends to do that, but I'm telling you, the most important one is number two. Because if you're making a sandwich, it ain't a sandwich if it's just two pieces of bread and there's no meat in the middle. You, you just got two pieces of bread. The reason you call it a sandwich is because there's something in the middle that you want to get to, and the bread is really just holding it together so it doesn't get all over you. It's just almost like a napkin. So you can eat the real content of what goes on inside. So listen to me. Number two is the most important. A lot of us maybe have number ones and threes. But again, I don't know if they're really telling us the true truth. Perhaps telling us what we want to hear. So let me show you the friendship sandwich through the life of King David. King David is probably one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I love David because we see over and over again he wasn't perfect. He wasn't the best, but he knew what it was to call out to God and to repent. So number one, we see a friend to challenge you and to bring out your best. David's life was far from perfect. But even with all his sins and shortcomings and mistakes, he is still described in God's word as this. I love it. Acts 13, 22. I have found David, the son of Jesse, A man after my own heart who will do all my will. What an incredible testimony that God has spoken this about David. He's a man after my own heart. But why is that? Can I tell you why? Because of the right people at the right time helped David to be the right man. The first one we see in his life was Samuel. Say with me, Samuel. Samuel. Samuel received an instruction from God and says, you got, you got to go and anoint the next king. Saul's messed up. He was never my choice. I have my choice. And I want you to go and anoint him. So Saul leaves for the house of Jesse as instructed by God. Jesse lines all his boys up from oldest to the youngest. Eliab, a good-looking, handsome young man, Samuel thinks this has to be the one. But Samuel lent a lesson that day, 1 Samuel 16, 17. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance. Don't look at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God's looking from a different direction to us. So here they are, all the sons are presented, oldest to the youngest. No, 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 no. None were God's choice. 
So you can imagine, Jesse gets, I mean, Samuel gets to the end of the line. He's looking at Jesse and goes, that's it? That, that's all the boys? But Jesse goes, oh, sorry, yeah, there, there is one more, but he wasn't even important enough to invite to this special occasion. It's not every day you have the prophet of God come to your house. And he wasn't even important enough for them to invite him from the wilderness taking care of sheep to come. But the prophet says, hey, go and send for him because we ain't doing nothing till he comes. 1 Samuel 16, 12. So they sent and brought him and he was ruddy with bright eyes. He was good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for what? This is the one. You cannot begin to believe the shock factor that just happened in that family right there. From the oldest to the youngest, to the dad, to the mom, to everyone. What him? What him? I think even David was probably like, what me? I mean, come on. I mean, why me? But God used Samuel. To help David see God's will and calling in his life when he could not even see it and his family could not see it. I need someone around me that's going to see things in me that I don't even see. That are going to speak things into my life that I don't see. Not give me false hope. Not give me a fairy tale life. But speak the reality that God has for my life, for my dreams and for my hope. What do we see? Samuel made David better. So here's the question today. Who do you have in your life to make you better? Who sees you, the real person inside of you, the way that God sees you? You got to have a Samuel in your life. Second part and the most important is you got to have a friend to help you find your strength in God and help you grow in your faith. You've got to have a friend who can help you to find strength beyond yourself in the midst of the greatest temptations and weaknesses of life. You know who David's second friend was for this? It was Jonathan. Jonathan was that friend. If you would, picture what's happened to David at this time. David has gone out and he's defeated Goliath. Overnight, he's the hero. He's the hero. Everyone's talking about this little boy who faced this giant and he killed him. Saul wisely puts him in charge of his army. He wants that kind of man because people will follow him. And everything's going good till one day Saul and David are riding through the city. And in 1 Samuel 18 verse 17, the ladies of that city came out and they began to sing a song. And the song they sang was this, Saul has killed his thousands. But David has killed his tens of thousands. It didn't go over well. Saul's not rejoicing with that. He should have because they were his enemies too that David was defeated. But he now feels fearful. He now feels threatened. He now feels afraid of him. So what does he do? He tries to kill David. He tries to take him out. But amazingly enough, the king's son, Jonathan, He was the rightful heir to the throne. 
He would have been the next king if David hadn't have shown up. And I'm telling you, when Jonathan befriended David, he recognized that you're the next king and I want to serve you. He wasn't interested in his position. He was interested in his friend's position and doing whatever he could to support him and help him in that. How do you know that? Let me show you. 1 Samuel 23, 15 and 16. While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, He learned that Saul had come out to take his life. Saul and his army, Jonathan was there. They were out to try and destroy David. But what happens in the middle of the night or sometime, Jonathan steals away. Because the Bible says, and Saul's son, Jonathan, he went to David. He sneaked out of the camp and he went and found his friend. And what did he do? The Bible said he helped him to find strength in God. Wow, wow. He risked his own life. He stepped out of his, what he had in his entitlement and what he could have had. But he stepped out of it and he says, I want to be a friend that helps another friend to find God in their time of need. I push aside what I want for the sake of someone else. He helped him to find strength in God. I'm telling you right now, that's the most important and valuable thing a friend can ever do to you. It's not to buy you McDonald's and take you to Starbucks. It's not to take you out to the movies. No, no, no. The best thing a friend can do is to point you to God. Is to remind you, you were made for more than this. Come on, to encourage you. Come on, you got this. You can do this. And to love you through it. Here's your question. Are you ready? Who helps you find your strength in God? Who helps you find your strength in God? If you don't have anyone, you need to start connecting. You got to connect. And here's what I've realized too, is you've got to be the instigator too many times. You've got to be the initiator. Because sometimes you're like, oh, I'm just waiting for them to call me. No, you need to pick up the phone and call them. Take the initiative in the situation. Make the investment because your life is one friend away from being different. It's not a something you need in your life, it's a someone in your life. And here's what I believe. I believe God has the person for you. You just got to reach out and you got to find them. Proverbs 18, 24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. You got to be friendly first to get friends. If you're unfriendly, then people ain't going to like you. You got to be friendly to have friends. And then it goes on to say, and there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A lot of people quote that of Jesus and of God, and that is so true. But I believe also that talks about a friend that you can have on this earth that can stick beside you through thick and thin because the message Bible says friends come and friends go. But a true friend sticks by you like a family. I want someone no matter what that's going to stick there beside me. Number three, I need a friend to tell you the truth, especially when you don't want to hear it. So where have we gone? Everyone needs a friend that will help them to get better. Everyone needs a friend to help them find strength in God. But we must also have someone who's going to be willing to tell us the truth. The whole truth. Not the truth we want to hear, but the truth we 
need to hear. I've realized this in life. The more successful you are, and the more successful you become, the more you need this in your life. The more you need people who are going to be truthful and honest with you. David learned the hard way. The Bible says that when kings went off to war, David stayed. And when he stayed, he saw something that didn't belong to him. He saw a lady bathing and he said to those around him, who's that lady? And they knew who she was because they told him that's Bathsheba. And what did David say to those men? He said, go and get her. Listen to me. They knew who she was. They knew whose she was. She wasn't free and single. She was married to Uriah. And can I tell you who Uriah was? He wasn't just your average man. If you would read in David's mightiest men, there are 30 names that are recorded. And out of anyone else in the army, Uriah the Hittite is mentioned as one of David's mightiest men. You see, everyone in the palace would have known who he was. They knew who she was. But yet, because of the king's orders... Yes, your majesty, whatever you want. I don't want friends like that. I don't want friends around me that just want to do things that they think will just make them happy. I want friends around me to say, that's not okay. Come on now, I could preach this today. That's not okay. We don't do stuff like that. And if you want to go there, you want to be a part of that. I'm not even going to be your designated driver. Come on, you can just go wherever you want. You can Uber it. You can do whatever you want. I'm not going to be a part of that. We need some friends that are going to stand up and tell us the truth. She comes to the king. She gets pregnant. There's a cover-up and Uriah, a mighty man, his life is taken. In walks Nathan. You see, here's the third friend that David had. His friend was Nathan. 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 Nathan the prophet. Nathan comes in one day and he tells David a story. He says, you know what, King David, can I tell you a story? There was this really wealthy man. And he had sheep and goats and cattle. He had so much stuff, he didn't even know what to do with it all. But living in that same village, there was a a young man and all he had was one little lamb. And that little lamb was so precious and valued to him that everything he did, that lamb was with him. He, He had a little bed beside his bed. It ate at the table with him. That was his prized possession. And one day a stranger came to the wealthy man's house. And instead of killing one of his lambs and one of his sheep or one of his cattle, he went to that man's house. He stole that little lamb away and he took it and he killed it and he cooked it and he prepared it for the traveler. David is outraged. David says, man, show me who that man is in this kingdom and he'll have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. 2 Samuel 12, 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Four words that rocked his whole life. Four words. You want to know how big David probably felt at that time? Because he had just said what needed to happen to that person. 
And now it's the mirror. It's him looking back at himself. But what did David do? Because of someone's truth, David fell to his knees. And he repented. And he cried out to God. And he asked God, he says, God, would you forgive me? Look at this question. Do you have people telling you what you want to hear? Or do you have people helping you to know the truth? Again, not your truth, but God's truth. I wonder what's the greatest area of need in your life. What friend do you need today? Samuel? Jonathan? Nathan? My suggestion is this, that you start with number two and work out. I said you find a Jonathan first and then work out. And probably what's going to happen is if you find a Jonathan, they're going to be that one and two, one and three too, because they'll be the package deal. But I've got to wind this down today. When, when he comes to play, that means my time's up. So there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. I appreciate that. No, I ask him to do it. I ask him to do it. I'm trying to get them to play the organ. If, we, if he started playing the organ when I'm preaching, we would be here all day. So maybe you better pray he doesn't learn that. But here's the facts. Are you ready? Look at me today. You will become the average of your five closest friends. Your morals will be similar. Your finances will look a lot like them. Your decisions will almost run parallel with theirs. Your spiritual passion or lack of it will be similar to those who have the most influence over your life. So here's the question really we've got to ask today, friending. The question is this, who am I becoming? Who really am I becoming today? You've got to be honest with yourself, because I'm telling you right now, if one or more of your closest friends is battling with dangerous addiction, if one of your friends and closest friends is battling or struggling financially, if one or more of your closest friends is living a risky life, if one or more of your closest friends are making bad decisions, if one or more of your friends are in a toxic relationship or struggling with their sexuality, listen to me. If so, you are either right there or you are on your way there. Now, thank God that's just one side. Because if one of my friends are people who know Christ and love Him dearly. If one or more of my close friends are making wise financial decisions, seeing blessing in their life, having a generous spirit. If one or two of my friends are in a relationship that's thriving and being blessed. If one or more of my friends are sober and seeing victories in their life, guess what? Then you're likely to be seeing those blessings in your life and at least you're heading in that direction. Because regardless of where you see yourself today, every one of us needs to take the inventory of our friendship. Why? Here's my favorite scripture. And I preach this to my kids a lot. 1 Corinthians 15.33 You can't be deceived. You're only fooling yourself. 
Because evil company corrupts good habits. Oh, but they're not evil. They're not bad. Just because they're not bad doesn't mean they're automatically good. It's not two columns, remember. It's three. Bad, good, and God. And I want what's God for my life, not just what's not bad for my life. And I don't want what's just good for my life. I want what's God for my life. Because that changes everything. You're one friend away today from a better marriage. You're one friend away today from breaking addiction. You're one friend away from regaining your life. So what are you saying, Pastor? Your decision to connect will change the story that you tell one day. If you don't like your story today, come on, begin to write a new one. Begin to write a new one. And find a Barnabas. Find a Samuel. Find a Jonathan. Find a Nathan that will help you. Why? Because show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Bow your heads all over this place today. Precious Jesus. It's actually amazed me how many times friendships and friends surrounding yourself with the right people. It's amazing how many messages that this subject has come up in over these last few months. When we talked about the Bible, it's come up. When we talked about, oh, all these, it's coming up. Because the decision you make on who you surround yourself with is the decision that will either make or break your life. I'm so glad today that the ultimate friend I can have in Jesus. And we can turn around and say, all I need is Jesus. Yes, for salvation, that's all you need. But to stay saved, I think you need other people. Because when God looked down at Adam in perfection, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And what did he make for him? He made him a helper. Someone to do life with him. He made him a friend. That Adam ultimately married to become his wife. But God made him a friend. We need a friend. We need to be a friend to reach out and touch other people. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I wonder today if God is speaking into your heart. Because again, if you're here because your friend brought you to church, man, you should be so thankful that that friend loves you enough to bring you to Jesus. Because there's no better place that you could be than in the house today to have the opportunity to Accept Jesus into your heart and life. Oh, pastor, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. But it doesn't matter whether I know or not. He knows everything. But yet he still chooses to love you. That's the friend you need. The hymn writer writes, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything 
to him in prayer. Come on, what a friend you can have in Jesus. I wonder today if there's anyone that you would say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to receive Christ into my life. Is there anyone that you would just put up your hand right now and say, pray for me. Pray for me. Is there anyone, a young man at the front? There's a hand that's gone up. There's another hand that's gone up. Come on, there's another hand that's gone up. Come on, would you pray for me? I want Jesus in my life. There's another hand. Come on, hands are going up in this place. I want to give my life to Christ. Could we all stand to our feet in this house?